You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So Melissa, my wife, loves fried pickles, okay? And I, I, I like them too, um, but it's been more of an acquired taste for me. Uh, Melissa, though, has always loved fried pickles, and, and she especially loves them when she's pregnant, Okay. And uh, so more than a few times over the last 15 years, we, we've had fried pickles. And uh, I remember there's one, one night several years ago, uh, I was on, it was later in the evening, I was on a fried pickle run. And uh, I got to this restaurant about 10 minutes before it closed. Uh, I made it there just in time. Uh, there were chairs already upside down on the tables and I was able to put my order in. And so I'm waiting in this restaurant for my order number to be called. And as it turned out, I, I was, <clears throat> I assume, the, the 316th order of the day. And I had told the cashier that my name is John. And so after I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, for, I'm, I'm waiting for these fried pickles in this empty restaurant. And I hear this guy call out, John 316? And, and I was, well, that's me, you know? So I, I, I was the only guy in there. I, I, went to get, I went to get my order. And, and, then, and then the guy, he, he said it again when I got to him. And he said it almost like he was surprised that he had recognized what he had said. He goes, John 3.16, hmm. And he, he hands me the fried pickles and it, it was truly a remarkable moment because at the very least, this guy who had whatever kind of background he had, he knew that John 3.16 meant something, right? Like I, I would guess that most all of us in here having whatever kind of background we have, we all kind of know that John 3.16 means something. Whether we've grown up in a Christian home, whether this is the first time you've ever set foot in a church, there's a good chance, a decent chance that we've all heard or seen John 3.16. And either way, my, my goal this morning in this sermon is I want to tell you exactly what the verse means. At one level, it's not hard to tell you what John 3.16 means because the, the verse is so crystal clear. Just if you have your Bible, look at verse 16 for a minute. You know it. We've been memorizing it at home for the last two weeks. You, you, you know the verse. Here, just look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So if you're five years old or 25 or 85, we're all tracking with John 3, 16. We, we see what the verse means. And the last thing I wanna do this morning is to overcomplicate this verse. It's a simple, glorious verse. And also it's, it's profound. It's a profound, deep, wondrous verse. And so I do wanna take some time to look closely here and to highlight three truths that we see in this verse that show us the heart of the gospel. 
And I want to put these three truths in one sentence that, that goes like this. We were all condemned, number one. But, number two, Jesus came to give us life because, number three, God loves us. We were all condemned, but Jesus came to give us life because God loves us. We're going to look at each of these parts, but first let's pray again and ask for God's help. Father, in this moment, your word is open before us and your spirit is at work, blowing, moving however he wills. And so we ask, lift up Jesus. Show us your glory in your son. We beg you, Father, we beg you. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, we were all condemned. And in order to see this point, we need to really back out of John 3, 16 for a minute and see the wider context. We need to see more of what's going on here in this third chapter of John's gospel. In the beginning of chapter three, John starts by introducing to us Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee who, who is really intrigued by Jesus. And so one night, presumably because it's night and there were less people around, Nicodemus comes to Jesus to see him and to ask him questions. And the questions that Nicodemus has for Jesus are about who Jesus is and what he's been teaching. And in the interaction we see Nicodemus is not hostile to Jesus, he's more curious. He, he has questions, legitimate questions for Jesus. And so Nicodemus and Jesus talk. And as a Pharisee, Nicodemus is considered to be a teacher of Israel. That's what Jesus calls him, which means that Nicodemus is skilled. He's been skilled in understanding the Hebrew scriptures. And yet, Nicodemus still doesn't quite understand what Jesus has been teaching. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, basically, that, that it'll be clear to him, he'll understand Jesus and his teaching when Jesus is lifted up. That's verses 14 and 15. And these two verses, 14 and 15, they, they really are the central main idea of this chapter. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And when Jesus says this, he, he doesn't have to explain to Nicodemus this reference to Moses because Nicodemus understands it. He gets it. Remember, Nicodemus understands the Old Testament. And so right away, when Nicodemus hears Jesus say this, he makes the connection. He knows that Jesus is talking about the book of Numbers chapter 21. Okay, so time out for a minute in John 3. Let's think back in the Old Testament to Numbers chapter 21. 21. Okay. Who in here is afraid of snakes? Okay. If you, <laughs> if you don't think you're afraid of snakes, you are. Okay. I, I remember hearing, and I grew up in North Carolina, and I remember hearing stories of snakes hiding in bathrooms, like in the toilet, like under the rim of a, to of a toilet. Okay. Just think about that, okay? 
Snakes are scary, all right? Snakes are bad news, all right? We, we're all at some level, we're scared of snakes, okay? And that's the reason why this story in Numbers 21 is meant to be a nightmare for humans. This is a nightmare story. The story in Numbers 21 takes place after Israel has come through the Exodus and they're traveling, wandering in the desert, and they're going around the land of Edom. And as they're doing this, the people, of course, get impatient and they start grumbling against God and against Moses. They're doing the whole, you know, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert sort of thing. They do. They're, they're, they're grumbling. And as a judgment to the people's unbelief, as a judgment on the people for their unbelief and grumbling, God sends fiery serpents among the people to bite the people and kill them. So just think about this. Now, I have never seen before the classic motion picture Snakes on a Plane starring Samuel L. Jackson I've seen the trailers though, and I can tell you from the trailers, the movie pretty much is just hundreds of snakes on a plane biting people, okay? It's horrific, it's frightening. And, and that whole scene, that whole idea is basically what we have happening here in Numbers 21. It's that sort of thing. Imagine snakes are popping up out of everywhere. You open the cabinet, it's a snake. Everywhere you look, there's a snake and they're biting people and people are dying from these snake bites. And, and so what they do is they're finally humbled and they're desperate for help. And so they come to Moses in repentance and Moses intercedes for them. And as a mercy to the people, God provides a way out. God tells Moses to make a serpent out of bronze and put this bronze serpent on a pole and everyone bitten by a snake, if, if they look up to this pole, if they look to this bronze serpent lifted up, they'll then be healed. That's the story, Numbers 21. That's what Moses does and it works. All of these people who have been bitten by snakes, all of these people who are under the judgment of God, when they look up at this bronze serpent, they live. And Jesus says here in John three, that just like Moses lifted up that serpent, Jesus himself must be lifted up. And in a similar way, all who look to Jesus, all who believe in Jesus will live. And what's implied here and what Jesus is saying is really important. It's really important. Because what's implied here and what Jesus says is that we've all been bitten. All of us have been bitten. We are already under the judgment of God. And that's stated clearly here. We see it in verse 18. If you look down the verse 18, we see that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. We already loved darkness rather than light. Be because of sin, we all step into our own stories already destined for wrath. We are already set against God. And if we reject Jesus, if we reject him, verse 36 tells us, the wrath of God remains on us because it's already coming to us, see. 
we already are condemned. And look, although our, our, our condemnation as sinners, although that's not as obvious to us as a snake bite, I believe deep down we all know it's true. We all know as humans that we're broken and doomed and we need a way out. We, we all know that we need to be healed. And if you don't think that we know this, just look at the market for false healers and pseudo-saviors, which is pretty much every advertisement you see. Look, look at the links. In our culture, look at the links that people will go to change themselves. One of the most repeated messages in our world is that you need to change. And that message works because all of us know deep down that it's true. We know, it's, we know we're off. There's something broken. We know it. We know it. We all, as part of this world, are sinful and depraved we are grumblers against God. And that's just natural to us as fallen humans. And therefore, because of that, we all, we, we, we are, we were condemned. We were condemned. We all were condemned. That's the first thing to see here about John 3.16. It's behind the whole verse. We were all condemned. But, number two, Jesus came to give us life. And and this is the big exclamation point of the whole gospel of John. We see it here in verse 16 loud and clear. In fact, verse 16 marks a new section in the whole chapter. The conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus ends in verse 15. And then in verse 16, John, the narrator, he steps in to give his own explanation of what Jesus has just said. So Jesus said, verse 14, that he must be lifted it up so that whoever of us snake bitten people believe in him will live. And then right after Jesus says this in verse 16, John steps in to give us a glorious grounding for why that's the case. It's like verses 14 and 15 are the tip of the iceberg. And now John is taking us deep down to see more in verse 16. John is saying, hey, What Jesus has said is true because God loved the world in this way. And then what John says in the rest of verse 16 is basically the exact same thing that Jesus has said in verse 15. Most of verse 16, most of John 3.16 is a restatement of verse 15. And I want us just to compare the two verses for a minute to see this. Look at verse 15 first. Verse 15. Verse 14, the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
So see, in both of these verses, verses 15 and 16, there are two things happening. There's the action of God, or, or there's what God did, and then there's the purpose. There's an action and there's a purpose. And so I want us to look at both of these starting here with the action. Okay, the, the, the first question is, what is meant here? What is meant in this action of the Son of Man must be lifted up and then God gave his only son? Do you see the parallel? Look at the parallel in those two verses. Both of these are actions that have the same purpose. So Jesus in verse 15 and John in verse 16, they, they most likely are talking about the same thing because they both have the same purpose. And if they're talking about the same thing, what exactly is it? What do these two phrases mean? Well, the answer is that Jesus and John are talking about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection as one gospel event. The phrase here, lifted up, is used three other times in the Gospel of John. And it, it kinda has a double meaning. In one sense, it's, it's referring to the literal, physical lifting up of Jesus on the cross. And that's super clear in chapter 12 because when the people hear Jesus say this, John tells us that they knew he was talking about his death. But, but also Jesus is talking about his resurrection and exaltation. Jesus will be lifted up literally in his death on the cross and he will be lifted up by being raised from the dead and ascended and exalted and proclaimed by the apostles and the church as the only hope for all who are snake bitten. So if we're looking here in the passage for an exact parallel between Moses lifting up the bronze serpent and Jesus, there's not an exact moment parallel, but it's more like every moment of Jesus's life, death and resurrection was his being lifted up. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and all that he did in his life, death, and resurrection, the, the whole of what he did in his living and dying and being raised, all of that is the son of man being lifted up. That is Jesus being lifted up in verse 14 and 15. And that is what verse 16 restates profoundly as God gave his only son. Have you ever gave something before? Think about it, it's not a trick question, just, just think, have you, ever, have you ever given anything? You know what that's like, you have something it belongs to you, it's, it's yours, and then you give it. You, you, you have it, and then you say, here. God the Father gave Jesus. He gave him. God gave Jesus in his incarnation in life 
He gave Jesus in his suffering and crucifixion. He gave Jesus in his resurrection and ascension. And it's really just, you know, a simple little one-syllable word, gave, right? It's a simple word. But its glory is in what he gave. God gave his only son. And, and the words there, his only son, that is meant to register for all peoples at all times that this is something precious. Because you don't give your only son. Nobody gives their only son. When, when I read this verse and I slow down on verse 16, I think I've got, I've got four sons and I would not give any of them for anything. Well, well what, if it, what if it saves thousands of people? So what? I don't care. They're my sons, see? I'm not giving my sons. People don't give their sons. And, and, and yet, what do we read here? See, we're all supposed to think that way. We're all supposed to see this signals the preciousness of the gift. We get it, we get the preciousness, and yet still, we don't even come close. We don't even come close to understanding what is being said here because John, he is, he, he's drawing in and, and emphasizing the wonder of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, which is a topic that is major in the Gospel of John. Chapter three, verse 36. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Chapter five, verse 20. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Chapter 10, verse 17. The father loves the son and has given him authority over his life to lay it down and to take it back up again. Chapter 15, verse nine. The father loves the son and the son abides in his father's love. Chapter 17, verse 24. The father loves the son as he has eternally love the son from before the foundations of the world. We cannot fathom the relationship here between God the Father and God the Son because we are talking about the son here, the son who is the only begotten, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. We're talking about the son who is the eternal object of God's ultimate joy and love and God the Father gave him he gave him. He gave him. He gave him. God the Father gave him to live and to suffer and to die on the cross bearing the judgment that we snake-bitten sinners deserved. That's the action here. That's what God did here. That's what it means for Jesus to be lifted up. That's what it means for God to give his only son. And God did that for what? What's the purpose? Look here at verse 16. 
The purpose is stated both in verse 15 and 16, and it's easy to see. Verse 15 again, the purpose for what God did is so that, verse 15, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. The same thing John says in verse 16, so that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. So the purpose of Jesus's death and resurrection The purpose of God giving his only son is to give life to whoever believes. Everybody see that? Raise your hand for a second. You see that? You tracking? It's very clear here in verses 15 and 16. And it's really important, I think, to get this part clear, okay? The purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection is not to give life to everyone but it's to everyone who believes. That's what the verse says. See, every snake-bitten person doesn't just get life now because of what Jesus did, but it's only the snake-bitten persons who look to Jesus. It's whoever believes in Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus are those whom Jesus saves and those whom he came to save. And there's more we could talk about related to the nature and wonder of the atonement and what it says about the glory of Jesus. Like Jesus never died to save someone who will not be saved because Jesus is not a failure. Or Jesus Jesus never paid for the sins of someone who will pay for their own sins in hell. Or Jesus is not a coupon, remember? Jesus doesn't get us part of the way and then leave the rest up to us. Jesus is the whole savior, so Jesus gets the whole glory. And I wanna talk more about that. I love talking about that. But eventually here, we all get to the question of how do I know that Jesus died for me? This is the question that we all have to ask one way or another. How do I know if God gave his only son for me? How do I know if Jesus died to give me eternal life? Do I believe? Do you believe? Do do you believe? Because if you believe in Jesus, if you receive Jesus as the treasure he is, if you embrace Jesus and you look to Jesus for life, then you are precisely the one Jesus came to give life to. See, what John 3.16 does is it, it confronts us with that question. Do I believe in Jesus? Do, do I believe in Jesus? And right now, I hope across, all across this room, I hope you're asking that question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you look to him? And right now, all across this room, if, if, you, know you, if you know you don't believe in Jesus, you, I mean, you know you don't, right? If you don't believe in him, if you don't look to him, I hope you know you don't in this moment. 
And I, I wonder, sincerely, I wonder why, why not? Like, I, I, I wonder why you don't put your faith in him. I, I wonder what is keeping you from trusting in Jesus. And I, I sincerely wonder that. And I would love, if you'd be willing, I'd love to talk with you after the service and ask you more questions. I, I, I sincerely want to know, what is keeping you from trusting in Jesus? I want to talk about it. And, and also, I, I, I need to say, I want to say, I have to say that whatever has kept you from trusting in Jesus before, it doesn't have to keep you from trusting in Jesus now. Because in this moment, this is, this is a new invitation. This is a new offer. This moment right now, you can right now, you can turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Turn from putting your faith in every kind of false savior and put your faith in Jesus. Right now, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus and receive eternal life because that's why he came. That's the purpose he came. He came, Jesus came and lived and died and was raised again so that whoever believes in him, whoever looks to him in faith will be saved. So look to him right now, look to him and receive eternal life because number one, we were all condemned, we were all condemned, but number two, Jesus came to give us life because number three, God loves us. You hear that? God loves us. And this is the first thing that's said in verse 16, but we're going to end here because it's the most stunning thing said ever, ever. For God so loved the world. The for means because. This is why Jesus will be lifted up to save all who believe. And the little word so means thus or in this way. So this is how it goes together. Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, the son of man must be lifted up to give life to all who believe. And then John comes right after him and says, yes, this is because God loved the world in this way. In what way? In what way did God love the world? God so loved the world or God loved the world in that, God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So that just, that just settles it for us. That settles it for us. This means that any time now that we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, we know where it comes from. We know what it means. This, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, it is the love of God. Look at the cross, look at the resurrection, look at Jesus being lifted up and know that this is the way that God loved the world. And when we read world here, we should thank sinners. We're gonna see this in Romans chapter five in a couple weeks. We should just thank sinners, that's what John means here. This is the way that God loved those who don't deserve his love. 
This is the way that God loved the grumblers, the snake bitten. This is what makes his love so stunning. And I want us just to to linger here for a a minute. Because one of the things that I, I come across a lot in conversations with folks, and even just in wrestling in my own my own soul at times, we can struggle to really believe that God loves us. And I even wonder, when I, and I said the last point, because God loves us, what that did, how that landed. We, we can tend to struggle with the truth that God loves us, which I want to say, that's a critical situation. Because the Bible teaches us that the most important thing in the Christian life is to be assured of God's love, is to know God's love for us, Ephesians chapter three. And so when our, our, when our felt reality is that God does not love us, that's not good. That's a crisis. When, we, when our felt reality is that God does not love us, that's not good. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, a lot of times, In my experience, the times when we don't feel loved by God are when we're especially aware of our own unlovability. Like there's a sense of shame we might have. Maybe we're just freshly aware of our deficiencies, our brokenness, our weakness, our sin. And when that stands in the way of our knowing God's love for us, one option for how we might try to work our way out of that is by saying, you're not deficient. You you are enough. You, You are worthy of God's love. And the problem with thinking that way is that it just contradicts what the Bible says. If you feel like you don't deserve God's love, guess what? We don't. We don't. We do not deserve the love of God. If you think you don't deserve God's love, you are at least halfway biblical. Do you want to know the other half? He loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. And and that's the place we have to get there, okay? Because if, if we struggle to know God's love for us, we don't come to grasp his love by convincing ourselves how lovable we are, but by seeing how glorious he is. I want you to know, I, I, when I was preparing for this and thinking through this, I, I know God loves me. I just wanna tell you that. God loves me. Good grief, like I can't. I want you to know that about me. God loves me, he loves me. God loves me. And I want all of you, church, I want you to think the same thing. I want you to say the same thing about yourself. God loves me. I want you to say that, to think that, to know that. 
And, and if you think that in any way that's prideful, we got it. we're getting it all wrong. There's nothing prideful about saying God's lo- God, God loves me because God's love for me is not a statement about how great we are. It's a statement about how great he is. See, what kind of God is this to love me, to love us? What kind of God is this to love snake-bitten people like you and me? What kind of God is this to show us his love in giving his only son for us so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and that means life with him, life with God. This is about life with God. See, it really all comes back to God. It's all about God. The eternal life that Jesus gives us is the life of God's love that is eternal. To know the love of God is to know the glory of God, which is behind everything. This is what Jesus has known from before the foundations of the world. It's what we were made for, and it's what, right, right now, because of Jesus, this is what we are welcomed into when we believe in him, when we trust him. Life with God through Jesus Christ, because of his love. I, I was in that restaurant several years ago and just waiting for my fried pickles, you know? And the guy says to me a second time, he says it to me, to my face. He says to me, John three sixteen. hmm. And I'll be honest, I just, I dropped the ball. I was like, uh, yeah. I, I screwed, you know. And uh, it, I dropped the ball. But if it ever happens again, you should just all tell people your name is John in the hope that you'll be number 316. And if it ever happens again, okay, I know what I'll say. Right, so go back, go back with me. I'm, in the, I'm at the restaurant. I'm waiting for my fried pickles, and the guy says to me, John 3, 16, hmm. And then I'll say, hey, that's a verse in the Bible. Do you know what it means? It means that we were all condemned. But Jesus came to give us life because God loves us. It's a simple verse, and yet it's profound. We see here in John three sixteen the glory of God. And so let us give him thanks. Let us praise him. Let us adore him. Let us receive his love unto his glory, which is why I invite you now to the table. Because when we come to this table, this table is a symbol of God giving his only son for us. This is what this table symbolizes. The the bread here represents the, the body of Jesus. The cup here represents the shed blood of Jesus, which has been given for all who believe. 
And so this morning, if that's, if that's you, if you're here and you believe, if you're here and you put your faith in Jesus, if you snake-bitten persons, all of us, if you look to Jesus Christ as your only hope, come to this table, eat and drink with us, and give God thanks. The pastors are going to come serve the table. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.